This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. This morning's scripture reading is from Luke 8, verses 1 to 15. Be encouraged by the reading of God's word. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, He said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold, and he said these things. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature." As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear the fruit with patience. Mm. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Axis Church. It is, it is a joy once again to be with you this morning. My name is, my name is Brooks. Um, I actually just got a text from Pastor Jeremy. He's been on a short sabbatical, and he said, send them my love and my prayers. And so I'm delivering that message. He is praying for you. He is eager to be back. He won't be back next Sunday. Our brother Jason will be preaching, but he'll be back the following week. So continue to pray for him, for rest, for rejuvenation in the coming weeks. Well, if you are visiting, I want to personally thank you for being here with us this morning, whether you are a Christian or a skeptic or a seeker or have some other religious affiliation. Just know you. You are an honored guest to us, and we are so glad to have you in our Midst. And this morning, I have the great privilege of bringing you God's word again. And as we continue on in our series through the Gospel of Luke, once again, we've entitled that The Real Jesus. Jesus is the center of our lives because Jesus is the center of reality. He is the one through whom all things were created. And he is the only way that any of us can be spiritually recreated. He is our Savior and our Lord, our Redeemer. And our sustainer, he is the one who brings us back into the Father's house after we have all gone astray. So we, we love Jesus at the axis. We want to know Jesus. And we want to hear his voice. We'll get into that today. 
We need to hear his voice. So let's pray once again. Living God, we come from a week where we've had 10,000 things vying for our attention. But we come now desperate to hear from your son. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would give all of us ears to hear what Jesus says. Lord, I pray that even right now you would be cutting back the thorns that you would be frustrating the enemy who would like to steal this seed right now. Accomplish all this for the glory of your great name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, last week our brother Don unpacked one of the most poignant and powerful stories in all of Scripture, where we see a notoriously sinful woman who comes to see Jesus while he is eating with some Pharisees. So the most unclean came into the presence of the most clean, culturally speaking. And Jesus taught us something at this dinner. If we think we only need a little forgiveness, then we will love Jesus little. Because he hasn't done all that much. But if we have a revelation of how deep and thorough our need is, and then we see Christ in all of his radical forgiveness, we will love him much. Those who think they are forgiven little will love little. Those who know how much they've been forgiven will love much. We saw that the real Jesus doesn't condemn sinners. He meets us down in the trenches, and he confronts us, not with judgments, but with radical grace. That's what we saw Last week, that was that woman's story. And if you are a Christian this morning, that is your story. And so it's right on the heels of this dinner that we pick up our text today. So follow along with me as we go. Verse 1. Soon afterwards, so soon after this dinner, Jesus went on through cities and, and villages, and he was proclaiming, heralding, and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus was proclaiming the gospel that God's reign is breaking through again. That's what what he's doing here. He's doing what he told us he came to do back in Luke 4.43. This is what he said. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well because I was sent for that purpose to bring good news to everybody, not just Israel. So Jesus didn't have any mission drift. That's what we're seeing. He is laser-focused on what the Father had sent him to do, to proclaim the good news that the reign of God is breaking back into our world, a world that has been battered and broken and beaten down by the effects of the fall. This is the good news he had to proclaim, that God hasn't abandoned us, Though we have rebelled, and notice the good news isn't just about the forgiveness of our sins, which it certainly is. That is good news. But the best news is not just what we were saved from, eternal separation from God, but what we have been saved to, entrance back into the ever-expanding eternal kingdom of God. That's the good news according to Jesus Christ. And so Dr. Luke through documenting the ministry of Christ, has been giving us vignettes of what it looks like when God's kingdom breaks through the darkness, 
This is what he's been doing. This is what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes back again. It looks like holistic healing to the entire human person, physical, mental, and most importantly, spiritual. It looks like the collapsing of all socioeconomic disparities. It looks like equal dignity and value for all who bear the image of God, no matter of race, gender, or occupation. And it looks like the redeemed glorifying God. That's what it looks like. That's the end of all things is the glory of God. And in these next three verses, we see this reality reinforced, not just by the audible proclamation from Jesus, but by the spectrum of people who are now following him. Look at this. Back to the text. And the twelve, that is the twelve disciples, were with him. Now, even here, remember the diversity. Jewish fishermen, tax collectors who work for Rome, and a zealot who wanted to overthrow Rome. This is Jesus' crew. But not just the twelve, continuing on. And also some women. Now pause here for a moment because this is so significant. In Jesus' day, women didn't follow rabbis. Even in the synagogue, they were separated by genders. So this is huge what Luke is saying. Luke makes a point to show that Jesus is elevating and dignifying women, not only by valuing their service, but by discipling them. By teaching them, he went with the 12, and he has women around him. But not just that. Look at this spectrum again. Also, some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. This means that she was thoroughly controlled by the demonic at one point until Jesus healed her. So we have this woman, and then Joanna the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. So formerly demon-possessed and the wife of the household manager of Herod. Luke is teaching us something here. And not just that, there was Susanna and many others who provided for them, who, who served them. This is where we get the word deacon. These were Jesus' deacons out of their own means. So Jesus is going around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. But not just through word. Even the kaleidoscope of characters who are now following him are part of this proclamation. This is what it looks like in the kingdom. God is no respecter of persons. Jesus means to collapse all of the labels, all of the ways that humans value each other. Jesus collapses that. God does not judge by outward appearance like man does, as the scriptures say. He judges the heart. And so what Luke is teaching us here implicitly, the Apostle Paul actually says explicitly in Galatians 3. Hear this. This is beautiful, and it needs to sink down in all of our hearts. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, and you have clothed yourself now with Christ. You all are wearing the same jacket now. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is male, there is nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
This is saying explicitly what Luke is, is giving us implicitly here. Now, this does not mean that we lose our distinctions. Of course not. God is glorified through the varying manifestations of people. Not at all. It just means that we have a new primary collective identity as the children of God. And notice again, Jesus has everyone using their gifts to serve the cause. And the same is true here at the Axis. We want women and men to know that the passions that are brewing inside of you for gospel ministry in the church and the city are to be totally encouraged. We want you to get after it no matter who you are. So just hear that today. A healthy church body is one where we are all contributing together and showcasing the manifold glory of God. And now we transition in our text to what is one of the most famous parables Jesus ever uttered. Now, historically, it's been called the parable of the sower, but as we'll learn, it's better thought of as the parable of the soil. So I'm just going to read right through it here, and then we'll unpack it more as Jesus interprets it for us on the back end. So follow along with me, please. Verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering, so once again, Jesus has this massive gravity that is drawing people. People from town after town came to him. And he looks out at this crowd of hearers and said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. So for the setting, Jesus borrows from something that would have been the most familiar thing for them to see, a farmer going about sowing seed. And as he sowed, as he slung this seed, from side to side, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some seed fell on the rock, and, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and, and the seeds grew a little bit, but the thorns grew up with it, and it choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded. It produced a hundredfold. And as Jesus said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So many people have been listening to Jesus preach, but Jesus is now making them check themselves. There is a way to hear and to not truly hear. That's the big idea. This is what Jesus is warning them of. This is what the parable is about. It's about hearing. This should give us all pause, because just because we've heard words, and we've heard the gospel, and we have these funny-shaped flaps of skin that interpret vibrations to our brain and give us information about those vibrations, just because we hear doesn't mean we have heard in the most important sense. If you ap appreciate poetry, maybe you've had that moment where you read a poet poem and it was totally sublime and beautiful and it just wrecked you, and so you quickly share it with somebody, and you're like, you've got to read this. This changed my life. And they read it, and nothing. <laughs> it's frustrating, right? Why? Because they didn't have ears to hear it. They heard it, but they didn't have ears to hear. Well, this is, in a sense, what Jesus is getting at. However, the stakes on whether you have heard him 
are infinitely, eternally more significant than if you appreciate poetry. Having ears to hear Christ now is a matter of eternal life or eternal judgment. This is how high the stakes are here. That's why he told this parable. It's a large crowd. He wants to pierce their presumptions that they have heard because they've heard. Maybe they didn't hear. Jesus says this in John 5.24 to make the point even stronger. He says, truly, truly. So as emphatic as I can say this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, whoever truly hears and believes, that's how you know you've heard, and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So hearing is a big deal. It's the difference between life and death, eternally speaking. Verse 9, back to our text now. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, Jesus said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. This should humble every one of us because this is saying even the ability to understand the secrets of the kingdom, the mysteries of the gospel, to be awoken to the reality of your need, even that is a sovereign grace of God. It's a gift so that no man can boast without the Holy Spirit of God quickening us, reviving us, illuminating our eyes and unclogging our ears. We could never embrace the gospel, we would remain hardened and dead in unbelief were it not given to us to understand the secrets of the kingdom. This is what Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 2. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, the secrets of the kingdom, so to speak, the gospel, so to speak. Why? They're folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So, if you are a Christian, this was a sovereign gift of grace to even give you ears to hear. That's what Jesus just said. But there are some who cannot hear, which Jesus now goes on to explain in our text. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others... They, namely the secrets of the kingdom, are in parables. And then Jesus quotes from Isaiah 6, verse 9, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. This is a hard verse. This is terribly sobering. See, this parable is about hearing. Whether you are a true hearer or a hearer that doesn't hear. A true hearer hears the gospel and cherishes it and loves it and exposes them and they see it as precious. And some don't. And what Jesus is saying here 
Because in this Isaiah text, this was a judgment from God. What he's saying is there can come a time after hearing the gospel proclaimed maybe for months or years, after even seeing evidence of God's working all around you like what's happening in Jesus' ministry in front of these crowds, and yet you still choose to reject it or to table it or to remain just intrigued by it intellectually, but to never have it pierce you, there can come a time that you will be unable to hear any longer. That's, that's what he says. God will give you over to your hardness of heart. And we see this in the Old Testament with Pharaoh. It says, ultimately, Herod, Pharaoh hardened his heart so much that God hardened his heart by giving him over to that. And that's what we see in the New Testament in Romans 1, where Paul says part of God's wrath is a giving over to a darkened heart that continually suppresses the truth. If you've ever thought that Pastor Jeremy or anybody in this pulpit is a little worked up, <laughs> a little maybe overly animated, this is the reason why. These aren't trifles we're dealing with. This is life and death. And we have a world with 10 million megaphones trying to pull you away from the truth of the word of God. And we don't want you to have heard but not have heard. It's appointed unto man once to die. All of us will die, and then comes the, ju the judgment. And the question will be, did you hear my son? Or did you hear and not hear? That's the ultimate question. And that's why we're passionate about this. And Christian, this text also reminds us that we are not responsible for saving anybody. We are responsible for sowing gospel seeds faithfully and praying that God gives growth. So sow freely. So with such a diverse crowd around Christ and with such varying degrees of sincerity, we can probably safely assume that, that's why he's telling this parable, varying degrees of sincerity, Jesus means to reveal the heart of his hearers. And so he borrows from a metaphor from agriculture. He says, a sower went out to sow seed. And what was the seed? Well, Jesus really helps a preacher out this week because he tells us what he just meant. Verse 11, now this is the parable. The seed is the word of God. So Jesus is going to tell us what this parable means in no uncertain terms. He says the seed is the word of God. So even in this moment, this is what's happening right now. Insofar as I'm faithful to the word of God, I'm sowing seeds. And as I sow this seed... Jesus tells us that it will fall into one of four soil types. So this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. We're going to do a soil test in the garden of our hearts. Before you buy land, they do a soil test to check if it will perk. Earlier this year, I had no idea what that word meant. Now I understand, having tried to buy a house. It means, what's the absorption rate of this soil? We're going to do a perk test on our hearts to see if the word of God has truly been absorbed. That's the reason for the parable. So what soil type are you? This is the question we're asking ourselves. Are you number one? The soil where this word is stolen. The soil where the word or the seed is stolen. Verse 12, 
the ones along the path are those who have heard audibly, then the devil comes. The devil comes, and he takes away the word from their hearts. Why? So that they might not believe and be saved. You know there's a real devil? There is. Jesus believed in it. Right now, a spiritual battle for human souls is taking place. Right now, we have a very real enemy, the devil and his demons. They are real. They are actual. They are enemies of God, and they really hate you. They don't want you to believe, and they're trying to keep you from believing, and for some, they will successfully steal the word. So how do you know if you're this type of soil? Well, it perhaps could look like this. Maybe you've been coming to the Axis for some time, but you've never come under a deep sense of your need for salvation. For you, the devil might steal the seed, not by making you reject Christianity outright, but by keeping it safely in the realm of intellectual interest. Notice the text again. The devil doesn't steal the word from your mind. He steals it from your hearts. He is totally content to keep you intellectually interested in Christianity as long as you never submit your life to Christ. He is totally content to keep you somewhat religious as long as you never awaken to your need for redemption. There are many who have a false hope that they are true hearers because they've allowed themselves to consider Christ. Maybe they've read a book. Maybe they even are passionate about proving the existence of God. That doesn't save anybody. The devil knows God exists. I love what C.S. Lewis once wrote. He said, there have been men who got so interested in proving the existence of God that they came to care for nothing of God himself, as if the good Lord had nothing to do but exist. This is a way the devil steals the word, by keeping you intellectually stimulated without ever really looking at Christ as Savior, which means you've never truly seen him. Believing in God and going to church and just considering Christianity doesn't save anyone. Another way the devil steals the word from our haps, perhaps, is through distraction. Oh, how dangerous technology is to our souls. One of the great follies of our time is to welcome all new technology with open arms. It's a folly of our times. If the great need for us is to have ears to hear Christ, then the great danger is anything that keeps us perpetually distracted. You realize this isn't an accident, what we're dealing with in our time. Infinite notifications just to draw you toward trivialities time and time again until we're addicted to it. That's spiritual in nature, friends. I believe. If your days are bookended with thumbing through your phone, could this be the word being stolen from you? If during football season your Sundays are consumed with fantasy football, understand there are spiritual implications. That's the reason I personally stopped doing it, because I'd come to church and all I could think about is my stupid fantasy football. Like, fake scores of people. What, what is that? I don't want that to be 
the primary focus of the Lord's Day for me anymore. Of course, I'm not anti-fantasy. Maybe I am. I don't know. Maybe I am. Could that not be stealing the word? You're coming under conviction. And then you wonder how well Mariotti. This is ridiculous. I mean, so I, I said enough. I don't, okay, I'm done with that. Just take that for what it's worth. I was begging for the word to be stolen. I was. So, friends, we must be wiser than the devil. There are spiritual implications to technology. Let us be vigilant against this attempt for the devil to steal the word. Are you the word, excuse me, are you the soil? Are you the soil where the word is being stolen? Number two, the soil where the word stays shallow. So stolen, now the word stays shallow. Verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, so they, they, they heard it, and they, they receive it or welcome it, that word could mean, with joy. This is good. There is a legitimate emotional response to the gospel. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. We see this sometimes in romantic relationships. There's an initial emotional explosion, a powerful attraction that initially colors your entire existence. You know this because you change your home screen picture. However, inevitably you come down from that emotional mountain into the everyday, and then the relationship hits a real trial, and the feelings flee, and it's in that place where the true metal of the relationship is revealed. And so it can be with our response to Jesus. Initially, you come to church and you hear the gospel and you have a genuine emotional experience, which is not bad. It can just be misleading. Whether it's to the preaching or maybe it's to the music or maybe it's the feeling of being part of a community. All wonderful things. You may even believe you've had a genuine conversion. But Jesus is saying here, the way we will know if we've truly embraced the gospel is when, not if, when our faith gets put to the test. If we stay the course. That's how we know if it's real. How do you know if your faith is real? That's how you know. Some fall away, Jesus says, thinking Christianity didn't work. When in truth, they never actually experienced the real thing, which comes through trials. As G.K. Chesterton once wrote, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. There's a brother here at the Axis who works for a company that tests the durability of products, so they engineer machine that the sole purpose is to put said product under duress. For instance, he was telling me about a fabric that they were testing for a firefighter's coat out in California. And so they took the fabric and they heated it and stretched it and stressed it out in every possible way to see if the thing was genuine, if it would stand up when it met a trial by fire. And this is what happens in our Christian journey, Jesus is saying. Times of testing will come we will have a trial by fire, so to speak. And fire does one of two things, friends. 
it consumes or refines. That's what fire does. It consumes dross or it refines what's genuine. It will reveal if Christ really is our ultimate treasure. And it will burn some of that dross away. And we will say with Job, maybe through tears, maybe just through a whisper, though he slay me, I will hope in him because I have nothing else. Or it will show that we were really using him as a means to some other end. See, friends, trials are a gift. They reveal the authenticity of our faith. And if the faith isn't real. The most gracious thing God can do if you haven't truly been saved, but you think you have been, is to give you a trial, to expose it. That is the most gracious thing he can do. This is why James writes, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. I know there are so many going through trials right now. And I, I just want you to know I know that. I, my family is as well. And so I, I don't say this in a shallow or, I don't know. I just know when you're suffering, that can sound vulgar if you don't know that the person understands. And so I say this very seriously because Jesus said it. Trials are a gift. If you are in a trial right now, we want to come alongside you, so please let us know how we can. You can fill out a Connect card and just ask for prayer, or you can come to an Access community where you can be surrounded. Please don't suffer alone. So just hear me say that. Are you the soil where the word is sown? Are you the soil where the word stays shallow? Or number three, the soil where the word gets strangled? Verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked. They are strangled by three things the cares and anxieties, and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. Like the shallow hearers, these hearers heard the word audibly, and it landed in the soil of their hearts, and it wasn't snatched or stolen. They probably thought they truly did receive the word. They maybe thought they were really good soil. But then, as they went about their daily life, the word got choked by the cares, riches, and pleasures. Can you relate to this at all? Are you, are you given to worrying? I certainly am. Maybe you're given to believe that life is to be found in the things of this world. You probably wouldn't say that, but when you see things, you have a yearning for them. If I could just have that house, if I could just have that job, if I could just be seen by that right person, then my life would be on track and I'd be on my way to fulfilling my purpose. That's where life is to be found. Do you, do you, ever, you ever feel that? I believe this one out of the three is the biggest threat to us here in Nashville, Tennessee, getting swallowed up by the cares of this world having our allegiance to the Lord Jesus and the Word of God choked slowly. 
at the axis, this is what we call drifting. Most of us aren't nearly as in danger of losing our faith in an instant as we are by that slow drift towards the wooing of the world just one inch at a time. That's why we say we have to fight the drift. This even happened to a ministry partner of the Apostle Paul, a man named Demas. Demas is a cautionary tale for us. In the book of Philemon, Paul refers, refers to Demas as my fellow worker. And in both Philemon and Colossians, Paul sends greetings on Demas's behalf. Demas sends his greetings too. Demas is a brother. Or was he? Then Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy, his final letter, right before he died. Near the end, Demas in love with this present world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas got choked by the cares of this world. Demas is a test case for this soil and is a cautionary tale for us. The word landed and it took some root and he even did gospel ministry among Paul. And then he heard that siren song of the world. He took his eyes off of the heavenly horizon and bought the lie that life could be found here. My question is, where are the thorns threatening you this morning? Where are the thorns threatening you this morning? Or where are they starting to grow up? Cares, riches, pleasures. Can you identify any? If so, how are you being a vigilant gardener? What machete are you using to cut back the thorns? Well, I'd like to offer one. Scripture, the Word of God. We must know Scripture. We must memorize Scripture. How else do you cut back the thorns when they come? Scripture memorization is a wonderful machete against the thorns. It might look like this. You start to feel that itch to have that house or that car and to think life would be found there. Whatever that is for you. you, you strike that thorn with Luke 12, 15. Be on your guard against all covetousness. Why? One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Your life is not found in possessions. I think my life is found in possessions. Wrong, Luke 12, 15. It isn't. Or? Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Why? They're dust. They rust. They'll be gone like that, and we know it. That's why goodwill exists. Rather, lay up your, uh, for yourself treasures in heaven. That's protected by God. It's eternal. That's wise. That's one way. Or you feel that deadly draw towards pornography or any sexual sin, and you know these thoughts. You've seen these thorns. How are you going to strike them? 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. You were bought with a price. Remember the gospel. Jesus purchased you. Don't go back into death. Or Matthew 5.8 Blessed are the pure in hearts. Why are they blessed? Because they'll see God. And we want to see God. We've experienced that, and it's good. It's true water. It's not poison. There's 
a hundred ways we can appropriate this. How are you cutting back the thorns? What's your machete? Jesus says, when God's word is proclaimed, it will fall into one of four soils. The soil where the word is stolen or the soil where the word stays shallow. On the soil where the word gets strangled. Or, by the grace of God, this final soil. The soil where the word sinks roots. Verse 15. As for that, that seed, that word, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hearing the gospel, hearing the good news of the kingdom of God, hold it fast. How? In an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. They didn't just have a quick explosion of emotion, but they held the word fast, which allowed it to sink roots that bear lasting fruit, which is the evidence of saving faith. Mature, patient fruit. So are you the good soil? Have you heard the gospel and have you held it fast with everything you have? Notice Jesus here tells us how to be good soil. Did you see it? How do you hold the word fast? Well, he gives two qualities. You must have an honest and a good heart. This is the soil that will perk, so to speak. This is the soil where the gospel can take root, an honest and a good heart. However, we face a real problem here because left to ourselves, none of us has a good heart. So what in the world are we going to do, Jesus? You're the one who says later in Luke, no one is good except God. So how can I hold the word if I need a good heart to even get it? Well, this is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the sinful woman from last week because it's not just a good heart. It's an honest heart, and an honest heart knows its need. This is what we need, a heart that knows it is desperate for help. It needs a spiritual AED, so to speak. It needs outside power to even get it functioning right. This is honest. And what we need is the Holy Spirit of God to give us eyes to see Christ, the gospel, to open our ears to hear it and and to believe it. For Jesus was the only human who ever had a good heart, and he lived a perfect and righteous life. And Jesus Christ, the only good man, truly, was put to death and was sacrificed as a ransom to buy back, to save and to redeem all of us who don't have good hearts. That's the reason he came, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God and then to be the door into it, into eternal life. And the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ, Ezekiel 36, 26 tells us what happens. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, the Holy Spirit the only one that can make us hear. And then I will remove that heart of stone, the bad heart, from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh, a good heart. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't have a good heart 
on our own. But Christ will give us not just a good heart, his perfect righteousness, so we feel totally at home in front of the holy God, which is wild. That's the gospel. That's, that's the good news. I ask you if you've heard it. If, if you've heard it. Even right now, do, do you hear this? Or are you thinking about all the other things of this life? Jesus has just warned us about that. Jesus right now stands ready to give you this good heart if you will just have an honest heart about your need for him. This is the gospel. Well, now we're going to respond to this proclamation, to this sowing. We're going to do so by checking our hearts right now. By asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to us thorns that are threatening, areas of unbelief, and to ask him to awaken us to the glories of Christ. And then we're going to enjoy communion. This is the Lord's table for all who have truly heard, for Christians. This helps us refocus. We take the bread, which is a picture of the body of Christ, the good life, the perfect life, and we dip it in the wine, which represents his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. We have tables up here. There's one in the back if you would like to serve yourself. And we'll also have a prayer team back here who wants to pray with you. If there's anything at all that you need, as we call a team lift, please, they would love to pray with you. Let me pray for us now. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit who can awaken us. And Holy Spirit, we are, we are desperate for you right now. The seed has been sown. Spirit, I pray that you would awaken us to hear it, to receive it, to love it, to cherish it, to see trivial things as trivial, to see eternal things as eternal. Help us now. In Christ's name, amen. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.